0: I'm going to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. October 31st, the end of this month, adults and children alike will spend close to $9 billion. They'll do it on decorations, candy, costumes, and scary houses. Does anybody know what holiday that is, huh? It's Halloween. Close to 180 billion people will celebrate This holiday. Now, when I was growing up, to me, Halloween was all about the what? Remember remember, I mentioned it last week? It's all about the candy. Well, there's another thing that was all about for me, and that is scaring people. Amen? And so I was into that. And so my family was into scaring people. I've been the mummy. I've been Frankenstein. I've been Dracula. But I wasn't hairy enough to be the werewolf. My brother was like full beard at nine years old. You ever met somebody like that? And I didn't start shaving until I was 20. I'm borrowing this theme from our, for our October series called Monsters. So that's the, the theme of our series for October called Monsters. Now let me do a little bit of a, a review for those who might not have heard the message from last week. I titled the message, When Regrets Become Your Frankenstein. Let's take a look. Uh, there he is. That's Jeff Brown when he wakes up in the morning. That's how he feels. When regrets become your Frankenstein, briefly resist places of regret with honesty. You got to go back to that place by the spirit of the Lord and by his strength to revisit it with the truth of God. You got to be honest with what was going on. You got to be honest with some of the decisions that you made or maybe decisions that were made against you. You didn't react in the biblical or Christ-like way. You got to revisit places of regret in an honest way if you want to destroy the monster. And so number two was return to verticality. That means that you need to look at God and say, God, I honor you. I give you glory. I'm looking to you. You're the one that I'm seeking. That's verticality. So you go back to places of regret with honesty, and then you got to get to that place of verticality again. And then number three was rejoice in the conformity of God's will and his promises And so you take the promises of the Lord, and and you're saying, oh, God, I conform to this. I'm rejoicing in all the things that you're doing in my life. And if you do those three things, I really believe that regrets won't be a monster in your life anymore, amen? But you got to apply the word of God. you got to apply what is being taught and the principles. Well, let's look at a second monster today. And if somebody could grab me a water, if somebody could make a run for me, because I'm going to run out of steam in my voice. I can tell right now. Oh, I got one right here. Wow, that's fast. Whoever did that? That's like the flash. When bitterness, here it is, monster number two, when bitterness becomes your Dracula. When bitterness, everyone say bitterness. When bitterness becomes your Dracula. Bram Stoker, who was a, an Irish author, wrote the classic Gothic horror novel in 1897, and he based it on this guy right here. It's kind of creepy, huh? That's Vlad Dracula. He was an overseer or a ruler in Wallachia. And so um, that's Vlad Dracula. And so if you go to the next slide, that's a picture of his castle. I guess you can rent a room there on Halloween night. (laughs) The red roof end's looking a little bit better to you, right? And so um, Vlad Dracula is uh, a true story, and this is where Brahm got some of his uh, his, uh, background or backstory to his novel Dracula. Uh, He was nicknamed Vlad Teeps, and the reason for that was that his father, who was the governor of Transylvania, was betrayed and brutally murdered along with Vlad's brother. And so in bitterness and revenge, Vlad Dracula uh, went after those two men and impaled them. And so he became Vlad the Impaler. And so Brahm was taking some of that history and kind of woven it together with his novel on Dracula So what I want for us to do this morning is look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 down to verse 32, bad blood. And that's what his name really means. Dracula is bad blood. And the bad blood of bitterness will suck the life right out of you. Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to look at verse 31. Take your eyes there, then we'll back up and grab a couple of points from the text. What does the Bible say in verse 31? It says, let... All bitterness. Are your eyes there with me? Let all bitterness. Now, what's all mean? Yeah, all means all, right? We don't need to get too deep on the Greek on that one. All doesn't mean 80%. It doesn't mean 90%. It doesn't mean 99%. Listen, the Bible says that if you're a Christian, you need to let all bitterness, all of it. Whatever bitterness that you've been holding on to for 20, 30 years, whatever this Dracula has been sucking the life out of you. You've got to let, what is it? All bitterness. A little bit lower into the verse, it says to be put away from you. Let all bitterness. Let me give you four different angles to the word bitter in the New Testament. Pikros, P-I-K is the root. Pik means to cut or to prick. It means sharp. And it's used in James chapter three, verse 11 about the tongue. And so this Greek word means the tongue can be bitter. It can be bitter. What's coming out of our mouth to other people is sharp and it's pointed and it's cutting people. That's bitter. That's pick gross. Pick reno is another one for bitter, and that means to embitter or to irritate. In John or Colossians chapter three verse nineteen, it says, "Don't be harsh with them." That's talking about husbands that mistreat their wives. Don't be harsh. That's pick reno. And that means bitter. You're going to make your wife bitter by mistreating her. Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. There's another one, a third reference to bitterness in the New Testament. It's pikros. And that means bitter weeping. That's Peter, when he denied the Lord, you remember that he was weeping. There was a bitter weeping. Then we have, fourthly, pikria. And pikria is used in Acts chapter 2. Eight in verse 23 it says the gall of bitterness this is the extreme form of bitterness this is at the core of who you are this is where we get gallbladder a gallbladder takes in the bile of our body and so the writer of the new testament is saying that this bitterness is collecting inside of us it's consuming us it's pervasive in and through our body this is the extreme form of bitterness this is where it takes over your body this is where it affects every part of your life that's why Paul says, let all bitterness. You got to let it all and put it away from you. Let me give you a little illustration. I need somebody who has got some risk taker in them and they're willing to do a little taste test. Oh, Don jumps right up. Come on up. Does anybody remember Nestle's Quick? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Did anybody eat this like plain? You took a spoon and you just, just two of us, Rachel and I, right? I see her in the back. I would go to the counter or the cabinet, whichever it was in. My mom used to hide this stuff because she knew that I would try to find it and eat it plain. And so, brother, would you take that? Yes. I want you to take a big spoonful of that and just tell us how you're feeling. Oh, it's good. It's 100% sugar rush. <laughs> Did you ever used to do this at all? No. Never? No. It's just hold on. to Hold on to that, brother. And so now, now we're gonna taste another one, <laughs> all right? He's like, I don't know about this. We need another water just for Don, because he's gonna be like, your wife has a water for you, all right? Now take one of these, brother. Oh, I know what this is gonna be like. It's up to you. What's the difference on that one? <laughs> What what Don is experiencing right now, he went from sugar to bitter. He went from sweet to bitter. And so, but what's interesting, you're going to be all right? (laughs) 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 What's going to happen to Don in the next few moments is is that um, that that is going to permeate. It's going into his stomach. It's going to permeate his body and it's going to move in and through his system. And so that's what that, that word means, pichria. Pikria is the extreme where it goes, it's in you, it's in you, and it's consuming you, and it's moving out into every part of your life, every, your mouth, it's moving through your mind, bitterness is in your attitude, it's in your actions. This is what it means. So how do you take, get this, come on, stay with me. How do you take a bite out of bitterness? Do you get it? Come on, come on. How do you take a bite out of bitterness? Here's number one. There's gonna be two points I'm gonna share with you out of the text. So I want you to look at your Bibles. Number one, you you take a bite out of bitterness by separating yourself. That's number one. You gotta separate yourself. I'm gonna look at verses 17 down to verse 22 with you. The book of Ephesians is an amazing book. It's a very highly doctrinal book, chapters one up to chapter four, talking about election and predestination in chapter one. That's soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. And it's a beautiful doctrine. You study the first chapter of Ephesians, which we did in the first church plant that I did up in Connecticut. It took us about five or six months to get through the book of Ephesians. But that first chapter alone is phenomenal. And so that's talking about our salvation, how we're elected by God, how we're predestined before the foundation of the world. So he gets heavy in the doctrine in chapter 1 of Ephesians. Then he moves into chapter 2. This is hamartiology. This is the doctrine of sin. This is original sin. This is when Adam and Eve fell and all of the effects of all of that. And you remember in chapter 2 it says that we're, we're not saved by good works. We're saved by faith alone. That's all of chapter 2. And then chapter 3 talks about the gospel and the mystery of the gospel and how the gospel is what saves us. Jesus Christ crucified, right? He was dead. And he was buried, but then he rose again. And this is for somebody in the house today that's not a Christian. It's Jesus Christ who you need. And you need to embrace him and and trust in him and bow your life to him and say, Jesus, I wanna live for you. I wanna follow you. That's the gospel. That's chapter three. And then chapter four, Paul transitions and he uses the word I, therefore. And here he gets from doctrine to duty, he goes from precepts to practice. He's saying this is what we believe, and you got to know what you believe. But it doesn't stay just with what you believe. you got to behave. And that's where he's going with the rest of Ephesians, from 4 all the way to chapter 6. So you have what you believe, now what you behave. This is doctrine. Now it's going to be duty. This is the truth. Now it needs to transform you. This is preaching. Now you're going to apply it to your life. That's Christianity. The book of Ephesians is a Mount Everest of all the texts of Scripture. It's a phenomenal book. I would encourage you to go through it read it in your devotional time. You'll notice it says walk worthy of the manner of the calling. Walk worthy of the manner of the calling. Paul is specifically saying that our life is now to be lived out in reality. If you look at verse 17 take your eyes to verse 17. He says you must no longer, what does it say? walk as the Gentiles do. Are you seeing that with your own eyes it's important that you look at the word of God. Notice what it says you must It's an imperative, it's a command. You must no longer walk as Gentiles. Do you know you can tell a lot by the way somebody walks? Have you ever noticed that? My wife and I like to go to Walt Disney World. We don't ride roller coasters, we ride the park bench. (laughs) That's all we can handle. And so we get a, a caramel apple, we sit on the park bench, and we watch people. And so you can tell a lot by how somebody walks, right? So let me just do a demonstration here. So if I walked like this, What do you think? Arrogant. Probably thinks he's stronger than he really is, right? How about this? You ever seen some guy walk like this? What's that? That's the dude that doesn't believe in belts because his pants are all the way down to his ankles, right? (laughs) No, seriously, have you ever seen that guy? And I'm just looking at him going like, I am so thankful he has boxers on because I do not want to look over that way. Well, you can tell a lot by, you know, attitude, you know, doesn't believe in belts or whatever. So you can tell a lot by how somebody walks. That's the word here. Your lifestyle will manifest, he's saying, I don't want you to walk as Gentiles. What's that mean? He doesn't want us to walk like unbelievers anymore. He wants us to be different. I gave you three chapters of doctrine. Now I'm going to go four, five, and six with duty and practice and behavior. So you believe, and then you behave, and I don't want you to walk. I don't want your lifestyle to be like the unbelievers, the non-Christians. That means in morality. That doesn't necessarily mean some of these other things that maybe you've been taught about rules and regulations and a list that you had to keep. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about values, morality. That's what he's talking about. Make sure your walk isn't like non Christians. That's an important beginning of this section of Scripture. Notice their minds. Their minds were darkened in their understanding. Verse 18 darkness of mind do you remember when your mind was dark do you remember when you didn't know the Lord do you remember that I remember as a lonely lost little boy not knowing Jesus and and just trying to find my way through this world and my family situation was really hard and and so that little boy met Jesus at 16 but my my mind was darkened it was dark Look at verses 20 down to verse 21. This is the new life we're talking about here. This is a wonderful section of scripture. Look at verse 20, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. You didn't learn. Listen, Ephesian believers, this isn't the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. We've been taught. How many people have been pretty much in the Christian church a lot of their life, right? Raise your hand. A lot of your life you've been in the Christian church or around the Christian church. We've been taught Jesus. You know, but a lot of us aren't living like Jesus. His exhortation is very clear in those verses. Now I want you to look at verse 22 because here's point number one. I had you write that in, separating yourself. The Bible says, and Paul says this, to put off your old self, to put off. That means to separate or to lay aside. It means to place apart. We all have an old man or an old self, and we're to separate ourselves from that old man. We're to lay it aside. Apothetomy is the word for that. Apo is the prefix. It's for oneself. You're You're laying this old man. You're laying him off to the side. You're putting him separated from your new man, your new person. This is where he's going with this. Romans chapter 6 will be behind me on the screen. Notice, Romans 6. We know that our old self, see, there's the old self. It's the old man. Anybody know who the old man or the old woman is that's still bothering you? you got to be familiar with that because you might be tripping and falling because you're not familiar with the old man or the old woman. That's still part of who you are. It's part of our fallen nature. And so Paul says that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Notice Colossians, next slide. Three nine. do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off, look at that, separate yourself. We've got to separate ourselves from the old person, the old self with its practices. Paul's giving a principle here that is so important to our Christian life, something that I have tried to apply over and over again in my Christian life. This is the secret to bitterness. This is the secret to getting past some of those things that you've been battling with maybe for decades. The monsters that have been haunting and taunting you has a lot to do with the old man, a lot to do with the old woman, the old person, the old self. You haven't been separating yourself from that person. Anybody heard the the phrase, you might talk about your dad this way, my old man. Right, my old man. I don't call my dad my old man. I think it's a little disrespectful. But I do refer to the old man in me, like that. Don, would you help me? Are you okay to help me again? Are you still trying to overcome the. I want to introduce you to somebody. This is the old man. This is the old man. I need some microphone. And so I want to introduce you to the old Chris, the old self. This is what he's talking about. I want you to do something for me. Would you put him on my back? His arms move, actually. Yeah, there we go. Thanks, brother. Okay, so what Paul's doing here, he's giving an illustration. And he's saying that the old person, that old Chris, that old man is with us until heaven. And so he's using an illustration from from the days of uh, criminals would commit a crime, and they would they would lay on the back of a criminal the corpse of a dead person. And so that dead person's flesh would be rotting, and it would be going into the live person. Eventually, all of that disease, as they're carrying this corpse all over the place, would go into their body, and it would kill them. And that's how they would be executed, by having a dead person on their back. So Paul's taking this metaphor, he's taking it To an extreme. He wants us to know that there's this corpse. It's the old man. It's the old woman that's still with us, and we're carrying him. And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to separate from this old man, this old person. So, what I'm going to do, thanks, brother. So, what I'm going to do, this is what he wants us to do, is separate, lay it aside, lay it aside. And so, I do that regularly. I say, you know what? I'm not that guy anymore. I'm going to separate myself. I put the word of God between me and the old Chris, right? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to put ourselves, that's the old Chris. That's not me anymore. You need to say that. You need to put truth in your mind. You need to make confession. All right, I'm not that guy anymore. I'm not going to live like that guy anymore. I'm going to live different. See, we're not putting enough distance between us and the old man. We're still carrying the old man on us. We're saying, no, we got to say, God, get off of me. Get off of me. You're not part of my life anymore. Why would you want to carry a corpse with you? And you're wondering why your Christian life, the monster of Dracula, bitterness is getting a grip on you and sucking the life out of you because you're not separating yourself from the old person, Paul says. Does that make any sense? This is intentionality. you got to do this. you got to make choices to do this. The old Chris comes into my life, and again and again, the pride, the lust, all of those things come into my life. And I say, wait a minute, no, no, I'm not that guy anymore. Get away from me. You're nothing but death. You're nothing but lifelessness. I'm not this guy anymore. So you stay right over here. You stay there because I'm moving on. Because I'm moving on. Separate yourself. Paul's description is very vivid. You need to keep killing the old man. The old self, it needs to die. You need to put it away from you. You need to learn how to preach to yourself. You need to forsake this bitterness that has been biting you for so long. Paul says, put it off, separate yourself. Here's number two. Setting yourself. Here's how you take a bite out of bitterness. You set yourself. Verse 24, notice. And he says, put on. Look at it. We got put off the old man, now we put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Isn't that good? Now you're setting it. What are you setting? You're putting something on. It's getting colder. So maybe you went to the closet and you put on. You set on yourself a coat or a sweater or maybe a hat. You'll do that as the temperature even drops even further. You'll you'll set on yourself a coat. A heavy coat to make sure that you're warm. This is what Paul's talking about. There's a new man. There's a new woman. Jesus Christ has renewed you. He's made you a new creation in him. And so you've got to keep putting him on. You've got to keep setting yourself with the, the grace of God, with the power of God, with the word of God. Paul goes on. Look at verse 25. Since we're separating ourselves and then setting ourselves specifically to what? Well, there's a list here. Verse 25, truthfulness. Do you see that? Notice it. Therefore, it's another transition word, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Watch the list here. It's going to continue. Be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger. Has anybody been angry before bed? If you're married, it's probably a good idea to make sure that the anger issues or the stuff between you and your spouse is taken care of before you go to bed. This verse is popular for that. And so again, what we're doing is like, you know what, Chris? That's the old man. I'm a new man now. I'm going to set on me and my relationship with Lisa all the things that Jesus has for me. I'm not going to hold on to the anger. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to confess the anger. I'm going to say sorry. That's putting on the new self. That's setting yourself right. This is where he's going with this. Verse 29, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth? When's the last time you had some corrupt words come out of your mouth? Anybody this past week, you want to make confession? Any? When's the last time you swore? This past week? Raise your hand, raise your hand. God, help our mouths to be clean, right? <laughs> this, I, I, used to, I used to use all those words, Lord, but that's my old man. I'm, I'm putting him aside. I'm not going to be like that anymore. And I want my words to be different. I want my words to be pure. Notice the rest of the list. No, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, tearing down people, discouraging words. You don't want to do that. Remember James 3 said that our words are sharp, and they're like bitter words. They pierce, and they're pointed, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. He says, do not grieve this, the Holy Spirit of God. You are very sensitive to the Spirit of the Lord when you are setting yourself in Jesus Christ and with Jesus Christ and all of the things that Jesus has provided for you. You're not going to grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then we're back to the verse that we mentioned earlier, verse 31, let all bitterness. Now, why does he use the word all? Because it seems from the context that Paul is saying that bitterness is really at the core of all of the other things that are in the list. When Don took that, that bitter taste of cocoa into him, it's pervasive. It's going out into different parts of his body. It's the same thing with bitterness. If bitterness has been your Dracula, it's been sucking the life out of you, it's probably affecting your honesty. It probably shows up in your mouth somehow. It probably shows up in your anger and your shortness and lack of peace that passes understanding. When Paul says, let all bitterness, he's tying something together there. Very important for us to understand that bitterness might be at the core of all of our battles. Let's go to the end of the verses together. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And then verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven or forgave you there's a list where do you fall on the list you're saying man i could see some of those things in my life even this past week well maybe you're not setting yourself maybe you haven't separated yourself now you're not setting yourself every kind literally is that word for all every kind of bitterness it's revealing the heart there's a core problem here listen I'm going to be very direct with you and very frank with you. If you're battling with bitterness, there's a core issue. There's something going on at the very center of who you are. And it's affecting your whole life. Colossians chapter 3, you'll see some verses behind me. Notice, he says, put to death. This is serious. This is a command. It's in the imperative, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. Isn't that wonderful? We're once walking in these. We're not continuously walking in these. Listen, if you're a Christian, don't continuously walk in the way that you used to be. Walk in the new you. This is the way we once walked, when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off, what, the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is a practical word for all of us today. So here's the old Chris, right? I'm just going to grab him by the neck because when I was in trouble, my parents would grab me by the back of the neck if I misbehaved. This is the old Chris. Check this out. Am I up there? Next slide. Yeah. I'm not there. There's a picture of me. There's supposed to be a picture of me. Oh, there I am, the new Chris. I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be like this. I want to be like that. Amen? Do you? Let me conclude. Has bitterness become your Dracula? What do you do about it? You separate yourself, set apart from the old man, the old woman. You put the Bible, the truth of the word of God, in between the new man and the old man. You put some distance there. And then you set on, like a garment, the grace of God, the holiness of God, Christ-likeness. You're putting that on. You're setting yourself in that. But these two principles, listen, these two principles will not be possible without the blood of Jesus It won't be possible without the power of the cross. How do you kill a vampire? Does anybody know? Remember watching the old Bella? Who was that guy, Bella? A wooden stake in the heart, right? That's how you kill a vampire. Well, let me just turn this around a little bit for sake of a visual. And so now we have a red one. Do you think anybody know what this stands for? The blood of Jesus, right? Here's how you kill the old man. Here's how you separate yourself. Here's how you set yourself. You do it with the cross of Christ. He died. He shed his blood. When you apply that to your life, then you're going to get past bitterness. The monster of bitterness won't be your Dracula. Right? Can you help me out again, brother? One more time. This is why nobody sits up front. Some of you are gonna have nightmares for a few weeks. Anyway, I take do the honors. This is this is the blood of Jesus. Well, not really, but just pretend. <laughs> the cross of Christ is gonna kill the old Chris over and over again. But here's the thing about the old man or the old woman. Thanks, brother he gets back up again. You ever found that to be true? You got some victory, you're walking in victory. Then all of a sudden he's coming back or she's coming back at you. And then what do you do? You got to do the same thing that Don just did. You're dead. You're dead. The Bible says that, that I died at the cross of Christ, the old man, the old me. I died. Then why am I having troubles? Because he gets back off the cross and he keeps coming after me. And so this week it could be pride, it could be lust, it could be unkindness, it could be any of these things. It could be some addiction, it could be any of those things. And the old man keeps coming back at me because he wants to get on my back. And Paul says, no, no, separate yourself. Separate yourself. That's not me anymore. And then I set on myself all the grace of God, the power of God, the anointing of God. Amen? That's what we do. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask you if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to sing one more worship song to the Lord. But I just want to ask you about bitterness. Has bitterness been your Dracula? I want to pray for you specifically. So raise your hand if bitterness has been your Dracula in parts of your life, maybe recently. Raise your hand up nice and high. Anybody? Bitterness? Yes. Anybody else? Yes, yes, yes. God, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. That you would reveal to yourself in powerful ways, in loving and wonderful ways to all of us, but specifically in this moment of time for those who lifted up their hands. And so, God, we pray that bitterness would no longer take and suck the life out of these dear people. So I pray, God, that you would take these visuals, the word of God, and just help them to separate themselves from the old man or the old woman, the old self, Help them to get that distance between there with the word of God, the truth of God, and then help them to set themselves on with the garment of Christ, with the gospel, with the anointing, with your favor and your blessing. May they set themselves on with that. Put on the new man, put on the new woman, your word says. And so, God, it might be something else that we need to separate ourselves from the old man, whatever it may be, God. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in this moment, to bring us all to a place where monsters no longer haunt our life and taunt our life. And so, God, we pray that you would be honored and glorified in Jesus' mighty name. Let's all stand.